Recorded live. Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. A good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, November 12th, 2010. This week, episode 187 comes to you from Studio C in beautiful McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. My name is Joe Hughes, or Radio Joe, and here with me in the studio is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. It's a great day today, Joe. Good day, Cliff. At the controls is our engineer, Austin. Hello. Allow myself to introduce myself my name is austin danger powers danger is my middle name austin powers novak good day austin today's segments include the iaq radio trivia question an interview with energy efficiency expert mr henry gifford and then we'll have our halftime uh, bring in our technical director dr dietrich Wild. go back to our interview of course and then we'll finish with the roundup we are updating that website every week and adding a blog to the IAQ Radio website. Check it out at iaqradio.com. Before we get started, we have to thank those sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, to contact the show, you can call us at 724 and listen on the phone. You have to put in our show ID, 1547. The sound quality is not as good as on the downloads, but uh, it's still fun to have people call in if they get a chance. You can also listen live or download the show by going to our website, iaqradio.com. Follow the link that says go to the show. You can either sign in through the talk show uh, message board or you can just uh, join as a guest that way you'll just come up uh, anonymous and you can text messages back and forth to each other or text in questions to the hosts you can also download the show from our website uh, by going to that same link or of course from itunes uh, let's not also forget we've got the abih certification maintenance points iicrc continuing education credits or acac renewal credits just email me and request a quiz at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to Cliff for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Email it to cliffslotnick at cs.com. An early winner, huh? Yeah, we do. But that, <laughs> that, that, that applause was for Andy Krasowski of Comcast Metal Products, Mars PA, for being the first person to answer last week's trivia question by identifying the state of Connecticut. 
as the state in which America's first trade association was founded. The IQ Radio Trivia question for Friday, November 12, 2010, has been sponsored by Cochran & Associates, the indoor air quality industry's dedicated marketing and public relations firm. Cochrane and Associates has created IEQ TV, the IEQ Video Network. This is the industry's portal for news and information related to indoor air quality issues. IEQ TV is the place to be. Visit them at IEQTV.com. Now for today's trivia question. Name the British environmental assessment method for buildings upon which the American LEED program was inspired by and based upon. Back to you, Joe. All right. Looks like Andy's back, huh, Cliff? Yep. Our our, our trivia champion. All right. Today's guest is Henry Gifford. Mr. Gifford has been in the energy efficiency business since 1982. His work has been so successful that he regularly shows energy bills to people and even gives out printed copies of a two-year billing download from the utility company's website to people who come on tours of buildings he has worked on. Because he lives in New York City, his focus has been on large buildings, especially apartment houses. He is well-versed in many areas of building energy efficiency. His focus, however, has been on mechanical systems in large buildings. He designs mechanical systems for new buildings and also fixes up existing buildings. Henry is well-versed in both the blue-collar and white-collar areas of the field, which is a powerful combination. He says apartment buildings can be a statistician's dream because the occupant behavior excuse is diluted by the large number of occupants in any building. We've got some music for Henry. My rival will be televised when I get to the green building. When I get to the green building. All right, Henry, do we have you on the line? Yes, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate having you here. Um, Henry, you started doing this back in 1982. Is that, um, I guess, not long after the first energy crisis, uh, were you... um, one that kind of hung in there over the years, I guess. Yes, I found all of this energy work so interesting. Uh, we've got electrical controls, pipes, gas, oil, steam, hot water, so many things to learn, pumps, everything. It's, it's uh, endless. It's like people who get uh, involved with computers. It's endless. So uh, I've never gotten tired of it. Oh. I guess before we go into the USGBC uh, lawsuit that, that obviously is on a lot of people's minds, I want to talk a little bit about your personal experience in reducing energy consumption in buildings. Where are the biggest opportunities for these types of savings? It depends what type of building, what size of building, and what climate. Obviously, in Florida, we would talk about air conditioning, and in Minnesota, we would talk more about heating. But one interesting way to simplify things is to realize that in a one-room building, every room is always the same temperature. Of course, you only have one room. When you have a 100-room building, like an apartment building, well, then, then things get more tricky. Often the temperatures vary so much that you end up overheating the whole building to merely satisfy the coldest room. Or in the case of the movie theater, uh, you might overcool the whole building to satisfy the one theater down on the end where the people complain they're hot. So uh, in a one-room building or in a typical one-family home, the energy picture is mostly dominated by insulating and air tightening. Cut down the load of heating and cooling that you need. Shade the windows in the summer to reduce the cooling load and insulate and air tighten. Right. Larger buildings, it's it sometimes doesn't even matter how well the building is insulated because people open the windows in the winter when they're overheated. So uh, to, to just generalize, large building energy use is dominated by the mechanical system and smaller buildings is dominated by the shell, the envelope, the okay. air tightening insulation. Cliff? Okay. Well, let's. What is the 
U.S. Green Building Council's lead rating system? It's a system that they claim measures greenness of a building. It measures how green a building is. Since green is undefinable, well, I guess they're right. They are. It's like measuring puppy cuteness. <laughs> you can't say it's wrong. It's like restaurant ratings with stars. Okay, got four stars. Okay, there's your rating. But I can Nothing still. Measured. I could still get a bad meal there, though, huh? Okay. Yep. All right. Well, let's let's go a little standards rating and. The LEAD system, Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design, we have the acronym police here that sometimes uh, will stop us if we use too many acronyms. But that it's a system, I guess, and it's somewhat of a standard. I don't know exactly whether they call it a standard or not, but any standard should involve some kind of consensus process where the stakeholders are invited to participate, and it's supposed to be an unbiased developmental process or a team of acknowledged experts and then um, they get together put together the the standard and sometimes it goes out for public review etc to the best of your knowledge when the initial lead program was developed did any of that take place the lead system used to be a consensus-based process the u.s green building council and their supporters often still claim that it still is but a few years ago, the consensus was dropped, except for occasions when the U.S. Green Building Council feels like putting a decision up for consensus. Otherwise, they make up their own minds what they're going to do. The company that owns the system has full control over it. You know, I, I was curious, too. Do you know what year this started, Henry? Uh, about 2000. The U.S. Green Building Council was formed in, I think, 1993 the same year that Carrier Air Conditioner Corp. came out with a very, very similar system for rating their equipment. Uh, they had the categories and et cetera, but the lead system, I think, really took off in the year 2000. Um, yeah, uh, you've been known to be critical of the lead system. Um, are you involved or are you an advocate for a competing organization? to U.S. Green Building Council or LEED? I'm an advocate of rating building energy efficiency according to building energy use. <clears throat> That's what I advocate, which fortunately and unfortunately does not require any organization, any documents, any money paid to anybody. Let's see how big the building is. Let's see how much energy it uses. That's the system that I advocate. You can't sell it, though, so that's a disadvantage, but of course it means it's accessible to anybody. It also makes it tough to standardize it, I guess. Well, we have to do a little math, but we Americans learned pretty quickly what gigabytes and kilobytes in our computers mean. We can stand at a red light and look at cars and have a rough idea of the miles per gallon. Uh, rough enough to make decisions based on it. And it would not be too hard to add up all the energy used by a building in a year, divide by the square footage of the building, and come up with a number. Okay. Now, you're talking about energy efficiency, and I know that's your main concern, I think, and obviously from your bio, that's you know your background. And the USGBC has made public statements claiming the average new lead building saves 25 to 30% more energy than a typical building. What do they base that information on? And can you give us an opinion on whether you think that is accurate? They just made that number up. Okay. There's no basis for that number. And um, if you think about it, the difference between a average and another average is 8%. It's not a range of percents. Okay. You can't, say this, this, you can't say that we're selling this pair of shoes for 25 to 30% less than the other pair of shoes. You have two prices, and there's a percent difference. You can't have a per, percent range difference. So right away their claim is ridiculous. If they take the average energy use of lead buildings, 
you have a number. You have the average energy use of non-LEED buildings, you have a number. The difference is a single number percentage difference. LEED buildings actually average 29% higher energy use than comparable non-LEED buildings. And is that based on the energy bills or projections? That's measured energy, measured by the utility companies. The LEED system is based on projections. That's how buildings get certified, according to projected energy use. Henry, I'm curious. They, I just noticed when I got back, I've been out of town all week. I got back. I did some more quick research. Cliff did most of the research for the show. But I noticed that they just recently put out a new um, request for comments on a mo- more recent version of the lead rating system. Do you think that um, this lawsuit that's been filed have, may have uh, pushed that a little bit, or was it in the works prior anyway? Well, I, I wrote an article in 2008, which has done a lot of pushing. Since then, the new LEED system requires that energy bills for all rated buildings be reported to the U.S. Green Building Council. Uh, they did announce uh, in 2008 the results of a number of studies, peer-reviewed studies, which verify the 25 to 30% savings. Uh, starting in 2010, they started collecting the data to support those studies. And you were really critical of that 2008 study, I believe, if I'm thinking of the right one. Can you tell us a little bit about why you were so critical of that study? Well, you're talking about the New Buildings Institute study. That's the only one that's ever been done. They've announced the results of other studies that haven't been done yet. The data collection only started in 2010. But there's only one ever been done. The U.S. Green Building Council paid for part of it. Our taxes paid for part of it. And they hired the New Buildings Institute of Vancouver, Washington, to do the study. And what they did is they sent letters to each of the 500-and-something LEED certified buildings. Uh, the there's a dealership network. The lead ratings are sold through a nationwide dealership network. The dealers call themselves accredited professionals. So they they wrote letters to the dealer who sold the rating for each of those buildings, and they heard back from about half, and they got what they considered acceptable data from about half of those. So they had a 22% sampling, and they calculated the EUI, the Energy Use Index, for those buildings. And they didn't like the number, so they did a 66-page study which never said how much energy the buildings used. But uh, to hide the results, they compared the median energy use of the lead buildings to the federal database of thousands of buildings, which is an average, a mean. So they compared a median to a mean, which is a meaningless comparison. And they still didn't get a good enough number. So the federal database goes back to the 20s. And some of the older buildings are not doing very well. And so they included older buildings in their comparison to new buildings. So by comparing new to old and median to mean, they were able to come up with a 24% difference. The lead buildings, according to that crazy calculation, are doing 24% better. And that's the only number that they came up with in the study. And then the 25 to 30% claim was simply invented. You know, getting away from numbers and into theory, what's wrong with the concept of estimated energy savings? Well, it- it incentivizes lying. <laughs> if companies could say, we estimate that the mileage from this car would be X, and we hired some computer modeler to give us that estimate, well, the next company, instead of hiring engineers to figure out better fuel efficiency, they're going to do a fancier computer model. And Anybody who doesn't come up with an optimistic computer model doesn't get work. It's sort of what goes on in the pharmaceutical industry now. The the drug companies hire people to test their pills and say they work. And it incentivizes dishonesty. 
So when you do your energy efficiency work in, in New York City, do you use any kind of modeling to help you try and determine before you start designing the fix to the building? Let's say you're looking at an existing building. Do you use any kind of models to assist you with letting the owner know what kind of savings you might be able to get by doing certain things and spending a certain amount of money? No. Okay. So they – go ahead. If I design a new heating system for a new building, I use a simple Excel spreadsheet <laughs> to calculate the peak heating load for each room in the building. That's what I use to size the heater. And if I'm doing cooling, I, I do similar to calculate the cooling, and then I do a little bit different calculation to size the boiler or central cooling plant that handles all those rooms in the building. It's, it, you could consider it a model, but a modeler would be insulted by calling that a model because it's very, very simple. It is a snapshot in time, the time being the coldest night of the year for the heating system and the hottest day of the year for the cooling system. It's very simple. And it's something that's already, in theory, calculated for every building that ever gets built. And that's as fancy as I get with computers. Okay. Well, what what about when you're renovating a building and, and you're you're selling the fact to the owner? I would, well, maybe you're not selling the fact to the owner that you think you can help them save energy. Do you? How do you base your your estimates on what you can do for the owner and what the cost would be to get those energy savings in return? The same way? No. Real-world building operation is too complicated to model. In large buildings, we have the problem of open windows in the winter. Mm -hmm. The heating system has something wrong with it. Uh, maybe it has one thermostat for 300 rooms, which is very common. Uh, Single-family homes have one thermostat for 15 rooms, which is insane. And so one part of the building is overheated, the other part is underheated, and no computer model can ever tell you about these overheating and underheating problems. Apartment houses, a lot of them have windows open in the winter. No computer model will tell you who opened the window, how far they opened it, why they opened it. You can never model all the problems in a heating system that caused this. So what the model does is it simplifies things, and it says all the rooms are 72 degrees all year long simple. Therefore, if you go to a 300-room building, like a school we did last year, and put a thermostat in every single room, you will save nothing. Hmm. Now, in the real world, that school had windows open since it was built in 1953. So all those years, windows open in about two-thirds of the school. One-third of the school, there was a problem with the piping, and heat did not get to that wing very well, so they were underheated, the kids had coats on in the classroom, and the rest of the building had windows open. So when we fixed that pipe, we brought the cold wing more heat, so they used more energy. And the school understood that, sure, they're going to use more energy, but the kids won't have to put their coats on. And the rest of the building can now close their windows. That's far too complicated to model before we even talk about modeling the wind blowing in and out of the windows. Impossible to model, impossible to predict. But you stand outside the building and you show the principal, look, you have open windows. Okay, the thermostat. And that's easy to see. I mean, okay. Cliff? Well, I really have a two-part question. You know, there's a, a video of a presentation uh, that you gave up at the Building Science Corporation's uh, summer camp and I watched the video and and while watching it I thought that there were two really good uh, analogies uh, that I'd like you to relate to our listeners one was an analogy that you related uh, to your audience on how leads gathers their data so do you remember well, that the 22% sampling there's people who are like me and we're energy geeks and we think about energy, we care about energy and we measure it. And if you ask for the bills, we have the bills. 
other people, they're not thinking about it as much, and they're probably not doing as good a job with the energy, and if you asked to see the bills, they wouldn't know where to start. So this sampling by writing a letter, and if you don't get a response, you drop that building from your sample set, I think that's pretty similar to setting up a roadside breathalyzer test station on the side of the road on a Friday night, testing people who voluntarily get tested and saying that this data is representative of all drivers on the road on Friday night. (laughs) In the presentation, uh, you also had an interesting photograph that you used to make a point uh, to the audience. And what I'd like you to do is, you know, kind of tell our listening audience what the photo depicted and, and what your point was. I had a photo of a tall building about 50 stories tall, an office tower at three o'clock in the morning on a Saturday or Sunday morning. Uh, you picture a whole big swath of the New York skyline, about 15 buildings there. Most of them are dark except one light on here and there. But this office building is brightly lit. Every floor has the lights on all throughout at three o'clock in the morning. And I said, look at this photo and pick out which is the lead rated green building. <laughs> it's the one with all the lights on. And it's all glass. It has no wall. It's an all glass building, which is an energy nightmare in the winter and an energy nightmare in the summer. Yet, because somebody did a computer calculation that says it will save energy compared to a computer model for a worse building, it got a LEED certification, it's considered energy efficient, it's green, there's a plaque in the door, and nobody gets to see the bill. You know, Henry, LEED also, LEED buildings also, you know, it's not just energy, obviously. They're looking at other issues as well, and they have some claims about performance of uh, their buildings versus other buildings in other ways, like water efficiency, I guess, and indoor air quality. Can you comment on your experience with respect to whether or not LEED certified buildings are healthier or more productive, let's say, than non-certified buildings? The productive question is pretty much impossible to measure. In the 50s, it was discovered that if you changed the lighting in an office, the worker output improved. If you put brighter lighting, the worker output improved. If you put dimmer lighting, the worker output improved. No matter what you did, when you measured, you, you found improvement. It's a very hard thing to measure, and you have a placebo effect, and this has been very, very much studied. And, of course, it's not advertised by the people who make a living studying these things that it's sort of meaningless. But I don't put any faith in the claims that a, a lead-rated building is going to increase worker productivity. I do think that if the heating and cooling works, and people are comfortable, you'll probably get better productivity. I don't know, though. I know in high school they used to uh, turn the heat off and open the window so we're cold and we paid more attention. In the Army, they they do things to the trainees. I I don't know if that's actually a good idea in business. I wouldn't do it. But in terms of claiming to measure that stuff, I have no faith in any of those measurements. In terms of water use, it's just like energy use very, very important to the environment, how much energy and water buildings use, and the LEED system settles for estimates for those two things. They claim to measure everything else. All these things that can't be measured, the LEED system claims to measure. They settle for estimates for the two things that can be measured, energy use and water use. But it's a little worse than that. Those things are measured But we as a society and as an industry ignore those measurements. And the LEED system is, I think, the main reason why we ignore those measurements. Okay. Well, has the perception that, you know, if it isn't LEED, it isn't good, I I think that seems to be kind of the backbone of your, a a big part of the lawsuit that you're a part of, um, is if, if it's not LEED, it's not good. Has that kind of become a reality within the mindset of the American people and also within the mindset, I guess more importantly, of some of the people making the rules like the the federal, state, and local officials? Yes, it's the mindset in the public side because that's the only system they've heard of in terms of ratings. 
it's the mindset in terms of the politicians. They see other jurisdictions adopting it, and they say, okay, we're going to pass a law requiring it here. And then in terms of building owners, I'm on a job right now. It's going to be very, very energy efficient. And the owners are talking seriously about it, asking the design team, including me, to work up a lead rating for the building. And they said, we understand that it's not going to change the building at all. It's already designed. Nothing's going to be different. They've read my article uh, explaining the flaws in the lead system, explaining what a scam it is, and advocating measuring energy. And they say, but it's a recognized label, and we want the recognition. Henry, I'm curious about another label that I, I think you know, a good many Americans are familiar with the Energy Star label. Can you give us your, your thoughts on, on that program? Well, there's a, a lot of programs with the name Energy Star. They rate computers, and a lot of people might have seen Energy Star label on their computer or their uh, home other home appliance, an air conditioner maybe. They also rate buildings, and there are different energy store rating systems for buildings. I believe there are some that rate a building design, that is, before the building's built, which is distinctly different from rating a building that's already been built, because after it's been built and operated for a while, you've got energy bills. There is an energy star system for rating buildings after they're built, and I'll leave it to somebody on Madison Avenue to decide whether it's a good idea or a bad idea that so many different things have this same label on them. I don't know. Maybe it's a good idea, maybe not. But the Energy Star system for rating buildings that have already been built, it ranks the building in a percentile compared to energy use per square foot of similar buildings. And if you rank in the 70th percentile or better, then you get an Energy Star plaque in the lobby. So that is, the plaque means that about 69% of the buildings similar to yours are using more energy per square foot than you, and uh, maybe 29% or 10% or 15% are doing better than you. And this is interesting because as the buildings in your category start doing better in the future, you might lose your rating because you somebody builds 10 really, really good buildings, and the math changes, and you're suddenly in the 69th or 68th percentile, and you slip off the bottom. I don't know if they actually go back and take away the ratings. So it's a, going forward, it sort of nudges people to gradually do better as better buildings come online. And so in that way, it's, it's a great system, and it's based on measurements. So it incentivizes honesty. It's based on facts. Somebody took a measurement. You may not like the measurement, but it's a measurement. This is what it is, and we're rating buildings according to a fact, not according to an opinion. So I think this is a great step forward. Okay, great. Henry, we've got to stop for our halftime here and thank our sponsors, but we'll be right back in about a minute, maybe two. All right, Cliff, do you want to... Gonna find our sponsor list here. We go halftime. We want to acknowledge and thank our association sponsors. First, the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. And the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA the leading authority for information on heating, ventilation, air conditioning, inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. We also appreciate and want to thank our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. 
Learn about them at jondon.com. And Cleaning and Clean Facts and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services or products. Let's go back to our interview with Henry Gifford about the uh, energy issues and the USGBC lawsuit. I think we got you back on the line there, Henry. Hi. All right. Great, great. Uh, you know, we've talked a little bit, and I, and I thought about this at halftime. And I hope it doesn't throw things off, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on cleaning HVAC systems. Uh, I don't do HVAC to people. I'm sorry? I, I I like oatmeal, and I like pizza, and I like Chinese food, but I don't mix them up, and I'm an advocate of separate heating, cooling, and ventilation systems. Oh, okay, okay. Now, in homes, in small buildings, it's, I think, reasonable to put duct work, and you, you move the heating and cooling around the building that way, and if you try and do ventilation with that system, it's it's tricky. Uh, probably better off sell the people a separate small ventilation system. If you have room for the big ducts for heating and cooling, you can put some small ducts next to them for ventilation and just leave the ventilation system run 24 hours, maybe bump it up high when somebody's cooking or showering. And then for all the days when you don't need any heating or cooling, you don't run that big fan. You have the small fan in the ventilation system running fine. And uh, that system should have a filter, which would keep the ducts clean, uh, cleaner than they would be without it. But then, yeah, I think if you have a real full-blown HVAC system, it is a good idea to clean the ducts regularly. Uh, when we can, we design systems that the only ducts are for exhaust, and that avoids all that cleaning. But there's many, many buildings out there where they're already set up with ducts that, that supply air or for some decent reasons they will be set up with that, in which case it's a maintenance item and they should be cleaned regularly. Okay, thanks for that. Cliff? I think that um, you mentioned the fact that you have concerns over the fact that lead recommendations have been blindly trusted and followed and that in some situations they've been legislated in the law and then other uh, you know, townships and cities, because one township adopts it, they adopt it as well without really thinking about it and that some costly financial decisions are, are based up upon it. Uh, there's a term in the industry called greenwashing and are you concerned that uh, LEED qualifies as greenwashing? Yes, LEED is the very definition of greenwashing. Nobody really has to build a building very differently. You have to say it's different and do a lot of paperwork, and it's a perfect system for creating the image of green, the image of a different building. The U.S. Green Building Council really has changed the image of buildings, but it's mostly the same people designing the same building with the same mistakes. When these buildings do perform poorly, how does um, how do the people who are responsible for this rating system attribute the poor performance to? They attribute it to occupant behavior. And I guess uh, as a follow-up, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that occupant behavior um, uh, attribution, I guess, or attributing these problems to occupant behavior? Well, from a statistical point of view, obviously if you have two single-family homes next door to each other, and maybe they were built by the same contract at the same time, so they would have a similar energy performance if they were occupied the same way. So if one uses a whole lot more energy than the other, you can blame it on occupants. But if you've got a larger number of buildings, and the ones that are LEED certified use more, and the ones that are not LEED certified use less, you can't blame it on occupants because everything gets averaged out over the large number of buildings. Henry, what was the tipping point when you felt or decided or felt compelled to litigate the matter, and what motivated you to file the class action lawsuit against the U.S. Green Building Council? I saw an article a few months ago announcing that California is dropping all their energy codes. No more. 
codes. You can build whatever you want in California now as long as you promise that it's going to save energy. Well, as long as you promise it's going to save energy. And how do you promise it's going to save energy? Do a computer model. Okay, okay. And that put you over the edge. I'm just curious, Henry, did you, I mean, have you made attempts to um, talk to, meet with, uh, has the USGBC responded to your uh, previous attempts if you made them prior to the lawsuit? Well, yes. Before I posted my article on my website, I sent a draft copy to Ashley Katz, who's the communications director for the U.S. Green Building Council. I sent it to Brendan Owens, who's the technical director for LEED, the vice president of uh, U.S. Green Building Council. And I sent it to the two authors of the NBI study. Uh, Ashley Katz sent back an automated out-of-office email response three days later and I haven't heard anything from her since. Brendan Owens and one of the authors of the study uh, emailed me back insisting that lead buildings do save energy, but they couldn't come up with any evidence for that. Uh, one of them corrected some minor point of the percent in Energy Star or some system, and I, I made a small correction, but uh, they had nothing substantial to tell me that, that contradicted anything in my article, so I put it out there. And then about a year later, there was a debate held at the Nessie conference in Boston. It's an annual conference where some of the smarter energy geeks get together. It's the Northeast Sustainable Energy Association. And every February in Boston, they have a conference. And Tuesday night is the public forum. The press is invited. And it was, I think, 2009 where that year's event was a debate between myself and four advocates of the lead system. Now, I know what you're thinking, four against one, it's not fair. I agree. I, I had to debate one when they just announced us. I, each of the people I was debating, it took about two minutes to announce all of them, all the prestigious committees, and, it, and then they came to announce me, and they read what I had said. I said, to tell them Henry Gifford is an energy efficiency expert, and the whole place busted into applause. <laughs> so, well, we went and debated, and they we had questions. Is there any evidence that lead buildings save energy? And I had the study printed out. I said I have it printed here for the convenience of my opponents in this debate. If anyone can find anything in the study that supports the conclusion or even makes reference to the conclusion, read it to us. Tell us what page it's on and read it to us. No takers. Now, you mentioned that there were four-on-one, and that's some, that kind of leads into the next question I have. Are, are there other people that, you know, are supporting you or have um, shown support for you? I mean, uh, it seems like you're kind of on your own in some ways with respect to this um, to this issue. I, I don't get much support publicly. Uh, my, my article went out, and it sort of went viral, and you at the time you type in Henry Gifford and Google, the numbers were in the millions. But very few people would put anything in writing in support of what I was saying about LEED. And now the reaction to the lawsuit is the, a little better. I, I get emails every day from people, oh, you're an American hero. Thank you, finally. You're, you're fighting a bigger monster every day, but at least somebody's doing a fight. One person wrote to me who was critical of what I was doing. And all the other emails are very supportive. But uh, a typical reaction before we filed the lawsuit, when we asked if people wanted to be plaintiffs, the typical reaction was, oh, wow, that's great. Thank you. This is so good. I'm so happy. Anything I can do to help, let me know. Don't use my name. But please <laughs> post it. Call me every three days. Tell me how it's going. Anything I can do to help, let me know. I don't want to get involved. But this is the best thing to happen in our industry. Thank you. Thank you. Because everybody's scared of them. They're, they're big. They're like the mafia. You, it's very hard to fight somebody so big and powerful. But I actually earn a living. I'm one of the very few people in this industry who's not supported by the government. And therefore, nobody can cut my funding. And that puts me in a relatively unique position. I can speak the truth without fear. 
you know, I just want to make sure that we we put it out there. We um, we have not sent anything to USGBC yet, but we will. And anybody that wants to come on IAQ Radio and respond to some of the uh, allegations within the class action lawsuit or any of the discussion here today on IAQ Radio, we'd we'd love to have you. We we always try to uh, offer opportunities for both sides. Cliff, absolutely. Uh, Henry, what can you tell us about your attorney, uh, Nora Hart, and how did you make the attorney selection? Well, Nora is a specialist in consumer fraud class action lawsuits, and she's already got a well-known case against Match.com, the famous dating website based on the majority of the user profiles uh, being people who died or quit or got married years ago and they're not really available but the way it's uh, marketed it, it appears there's a very large number of people available who in fact are not so she does things like that and so that makes her perfect for this she understands fighting against fraud um with respect to the the lawsuit itself, I'm curious. You know, what's what's your ultimate goal? Are you trying to change the system, uh, knock the system down? Uh, there's obviously some monetary uh, interest. There's a hundred, I believe, there's a number of a hundred million dollars somewhere within the the legal, uh, you know, paperwork. But uh, I'm just curious, what's what would be the perfect outcome? with respect to this lawsuit for Henry Gifford? The lead system stops claiming that lead buildings save energy. They should not be able to use the acronym leaders in energy if the judge told them they could say losers, laggards, liars, or something like that. (laughs) Then that would be an appropriate remedy. They should stop rating buildings as environmentally friendly or green or energy efficient if the actual measured fuel bills do not show that the building saves a significant amount of energy. That's pretty simple, but that's not what the system is based on. And so the hope is that they are limited to issuing ratings for buildings that really are energy efficient, or they stop rating buildings altogether. With respect to, I noticed on on the... uh complaint it was uh let's see henry gifford and um i can't remember exactly let me i know i have it right here gifford fuel savings inc individually and behalf on behalf of others similarly situated can you tell us a little bit about some of who you feel are the others similarly situated or if they've come forward and they're working with you on this case well there are some few hundred people in this country who really, really understand how to make buildings energy efficient, healthy, durable, and some of us do it for zero extra cost compared to a normal building. Uh, Without the bells and whistles, just the science, just the technology, do the basics, get it to work. And we're not getting work. We can't compete with the image of green, and of course we can't compete with the laws now they require purchase of our competitor's product. And so there's people like at the Building Science Summer Camp Conference, at the Nessie Conference, the Affordable Comfort Conference, which is held in a different city every year. Those are the main places where the smart people gather and trade notes about how to do the right thing. And the technology for building really, really, really energy-efficient buildings has been around for 20 or 30 years. The industry that knows how to design those buildings and build those buildings does not exist. So this is this giant gap. The technology's here, the knowledge is here, and we're not doing it. Lead is the reason why not. So the goal is to stop the insanity and start building good buildings and start retrofitting older buildings to work as well as they can. All right. Well, let's, we're going to go to what we call our roundup here, Henry. At the end of the show, we just uh, go back around the horn. It's, we got about 10 minutes to go, and we'd like to bring Dr. Dietrich Wow in and get a comment or a question from him. So give us just one second. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out. Raw high. 
in, in the spirit of what we're talking about, but let me be a little more accurate. Give us about 10 to 15 seconds, Henry. We all, we got to get our little thing going. Let's get Dr. Wow on the line. Hello, Dr. Dietrich Wow, do we have you? Yeah, hi, Joe. Good uh, morning, good afternoon, good day. And uh, I listened very carefully to to Henry's uh, comments. In fact, I think it was two years ago. That's the first time I heard something about this whole lead uh, uh, problem when I was up in Westford, uh, Massachusetts, at the summer camp. And um, fortunately, somebody looked into this whole thing scientifically and... um, I think we heard today yeah, about the complexity of really judging of what the energy consumption is for heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, whatever it is. And yeah, I bought, I got installed a new furnace two years ago, which is 95% efficient, I think. And I have no idea whether I really save money because I don't, yeah, I'm an engineer. I don't know how to measure it. Yeah, if I don't have the exact same year from one year to another and my energy rates don't go up, which they always do, and then I could say, yeah, well, I may have saved a couple of bucks here and there. But it is an in- incredibly complex um, uh, 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 problem here. And I, yeah, it's. <coughs> and his presentation also reminded me of, you know, there are lies, lies, and statistics. Yeah, if one statistic doesn't work, I try another one until it quote is be, uh, significant. That is not the way to go about it. And I do understand, and I do believe that some of those people actually, I don't want to say they lied, but they didn't know what the hell they were doing. That is as simple as that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I don't quite understand, even though Joe asked the uh, uh, the question uh, the bottom of the line of the lawsuit you know what are we going to gain and I said okay they can't use that name anymore can we hit somebody over the head and said you were bad uh, I don't know <coughs> I don't know um, the other thing <laughs> with people making false statements maybe we should have a class action suit against Washington <laughs> and hundred senators and whatever it is, five hundred something uh, uh, representatives who have lied to me for the last forty-eight years during which I have been living in the United States. Every one of them uh, promised me lower taxes <coughs> and a smaller government. And everybody knows my answer: <laughs> my taxes went up and the government grows. And once that government grows, it's like a cancer. There is no way you can stop it. Absolutely no way. Maybe with a machine gun or a small atomic device, perhaps. But uh, it's it's lies, lies, and more lies. Uh, I liked uh, what Henry said about, and I like that too. I designed years ago ventilation systems for industry. I haven't done that in a long time. I also like separate systems. Then I know then I know what I'm doing, and that they don't overlap and they don't interfere with each other. So I think um, I, I think it's an eye opener of what we heard. I don't think these people who were the green people were malicious and wanted to do that on purpose to screw people. I don't think so. I was in uh, the university in academia, and sometimes researchers. They said, hey, I wanted to find that, and I didn't find it, and if I switch it a little bit around, maybe it sounds good again. That's not the way how I use statistics. I sit up front, and I said, I want to investigate. I don't want to prove anything. I want to investigate something, and if it works, it works, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So I think, I think we learned quite a bit about the complexity of the super issue about energy savings, consumption, and so on. Well, Dater, thanks as always for joining us. We appreciate it. I'm just curious, Henry, um, is there anything about the LEED program that you are 
that you do feel is a good component or that you do feel is something that's worthy and should be kept around? I've tried and tried to think of something positive to say about it, and I haven't so far. In the future, I might, but so far I can't think of anything positive or any good it's done. Okay. Any comment on what the, what Dr. Wow said? Well, I, I, I agree with him that measuring energy can be complex. It's a bunch of work to compare a large building to a small one, and then weather normalization is important. One winter is colder than the other. So uh, I predict that someday energy use will be so important that we're going to measure it. And when that day comes, we could call it the day of measuring or the day of reckoning. When that day comes, we're going to stop with all this predicting stuff that the lead is based on, and we're going to measure. And at that point, we're going to have a big giant website, or a few of them, which will link to utility company databases. And every month, the utility use, the actual build use will be there on the Internet. And it will link to the tax assessor's office to get the square footage for the building. And it will link to the weather to see how cold it was or how hot it was. And the website can crunch the numbers. So I don't see why we can't have every building in the country on a giant website. We could start to put some geeks in a room and, and give them some Dr. Pepper and some potato chips and tell them stay in the room with some computers so you get this thing sorted out and uh, we can have it though run that's it that's it then we don't need lead and then of course there's business reasons to not do this because then nobody can make money off lead and ratings but sooner or later this is how we'll do it and it'll be very simple go look there and it'll be right on the website Cliff well, I think we've got a couple of extra minutes, Joe. It looks like we've got three or four minutes before right. the end of the show. And, you know, rather than just ask one question, I think I can take host's discretion and kind of sum up some comments from listeners and uh, some text questions that, that we had received prior to the show. I guess, first of all, Henry, have any other plaintiffs joined the case? Yes. There's an engineer from New York. Uh, I've never met the fellow, but... He's a graduate of the Cooper Union for the Advancement of Science and Arts, a free college in New York that he said any money he gets from the lawsuit he wants donated there. And then there's Kirsty Stramler, who's a climate scientist, he used to work at the Goddard Institute, worked at Brookhaven National Labs on ice cap melting research and tropical storms research. And she's having a baby in a month or two, and she says for the sake of her baby, she wants the planet to be better. And then there's Elisa Larkin, who was, uh, had a mold remediation business, and she said it was very tough to stay in business to compete with the image of fake and green. And there's other people who've joined as well. Well, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. I'm not sure that people actually know how to get involved with it. You know, typically in a lawsuit situation, you get a letter in the mail or a sheriff or a constable comes to your house and, and serves you. I think one of the challenges with this is people may not know how to get involved. You know, it's not like uh, television where it's a mesothelium uh, attorney advertising, you know, have you been injured or exposed or, you know, been injured by some drug or whatever. I think people don't know how to get involved. I think people may not know what sort of financial loss they needed to suffer in order to get involved. So I'm not sure if you can answer that, you know, if you can answer that for, for people. Well, people interested in becoming plaintiffs can click on Nora Hart's law firm's website, which is consumerclasslaw.com. And you know, click on that, consumerclasslaw.com and get in touch with Nora Hart, and she will send you a questionnaire, and she will explain. And it's actually an interesting legal question, because the court is sort of asked to draw a what-if scenario if history had unfolded differently. If one candy store puts the other candy store out of business by some unfair practice, somebody has to figure out how much money the candy store would have made if it didn't go out of business. That's always a difficult question, but it's there in all similar lawsuits. How much would somebody have paid for a dating website where they knew there were fewer people available? That's a tough question. 
but uh, what we're really looking for is plaintiffs who own lead building, lead rated buildings, or who paid for their own apartment or house, or they bought a condominium. We've got architects, engineers, people who've been hurt by the competition. We've got, but what we're looking for now is plaintiffs who say, "I bought a lead rated condominium, and I did not get my money's worth." Of course, there's a it's understandable that people are hesitant to say uh, this label, which makes my property worth more, is fake, and I'm going to publicize that fact. So you can understand the reluctance of people to do that. But I'm sure there's people out there who have high energy bills and a bad building, and it's lead rated, and I'm sure we'll find those people and sign them up as well. All right. Looking in your crystal ball, you know, can you predict where the LEED program will end up and what was the program's impact both in the past and the future? It's hard to say. Some people think, well, it will gradually evolve to start having some teeth in it and require actual energy efficiency. But they've certified 100,000 people as being capable of doing something they don't know how to do. They took an eight-hour class in counting lead points, and now they've got the authority to tell an architect and an engineer how to design a building. So I don't know how they could ever extricate themselves from the corners they've boxed themselves into. So a lot of people predict that one day it'll just the whole thing will just collapse. Uh, don't know. Don't really know. Henry, before we go, Cliff, did you have any? Uh, before we go, we always like to make sure our guest has the uh, opportunity. Um, by the way, I, I forgot to mention earlier when I said if anybody wants to come on that uh, has the opposite views, that please contact us and let us know. But also, and we'll contact USGBC as well. But also, uh, of course, if anybody feels that they'd like to come out and express some support for uh, Henry and and the cause, we'd we'd also like to hear from you as well. But before we go, I want to make sure that we give you the last uh, word, Henry. Is there anything that we missed that you'd like to add or anything you'd like to clarify before we sign off? Anybody who goes on a tour of a building that's claimed to be green or energy efficient, Raise your hand and ask for your copy of the energy bills for the building. You'll be doing your part just by doing that. And that's that's great, and that that really helps with the last word. I know I'll be uh, I'll be looking at going out on one myself one of these days here. And before we go, uh, can you tell listeners how they would contact you if you'd like to do that, or what your website is? My website is energysavingscience.com energysavingscience.com and Nora Hart, the attorney for the class action lawsuit against the U.S. Green Building Council her website is consumerclasslaw.com both of us can be contacted through our websites Great. Henry, thanks for joining us we really appreciate having you on and uh, look forward to talking to you again in the future Thank you, sir All right. Bye. Before we go, let me thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. for a fun show today, Joe. Another interesting week here at IAQ Radio. Of course, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, for joining us. Uh, Austin Powers Novak at the controls. Uh, we're going to take uh, the next two weeks off here. We'll be gone next week, and, of course, Thanksgiving week. That Friday we'll be off. We'll be back on the 3rd of December, and we're trying to work on a follow-up show to this. So, uh, you know, the offer's out there if anybody wants to join us and either dispute what Henry said or uh, even join us and and uh, maybe back up what he said. We're uh, looking for people to come on. I sent out a few emails here today. But uh, most importantly, I want to thank that growing group of loyal listeners out there. Please come back and join us on December 3rd for the next episode of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. Call recording has been completed.